premillennial, pre-tribulational, dispensational, independent, and standing on the inspired, preserved Word of God, the King James Bible as our final authority, this is the Sword of the Spirit Podcast with your host and Bible teacher, Joseph Rusiello. Take your Bible, sit back, and join us as we open and study the Word of God. And now, here's your host. Well, hey there, folks. This is Joe Russiello, and it is great to be with you once again as we open up and study the precious Word of God, your King James Bible. And you know, folks, as always, wherever you are, whenever you are, and on whatever platform it is you find yourself listening to us on, it's always my prayer that you also find yourself in the grace and in the mercy of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Sword of the Spirit podcast and our Thursday night Bible study. All right, folks, I hope you guys have had a great week so far. Uh, this is Passion Week, so we had our Palm Sunday Sermon Sunday broadcast last Sunday. We talked about the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus and the Ass. If you uh, haven't heard it yet, I would suggest that you go check it out. Uh, we had a really good time studying the Word of God on Sunday, and it was a real blessing uh, to be able to bring that message to you. And uh, last Thursday, we uh, had worked our way through Revelation chapter number six as part of our Thursday night Bible study series in the book of Revelation. Uh, and in Revelation chapter 6, we discussed the four horsemen and the, the opening of the seals, the, uh, the havoc that opening the seals will bring upon the earth and its inhabitants. And uh, it was really a, a, a very intense study. And it's something, again, that if you uh, weren't able to, to listen to it uh, yet, you should go back and uh, check it out. Or if you need to refresh your memory on it, go back and check it out again. Uh, it's really, it's a really good study, and uh, it was a real blessing for me to bring that to you as well. Now tonight, uh, we're going to be getting into uh, Revelation chapter seven. Now, Revelation chapter seven is what they call a parenthetical chapter. Uh, it's a brief pause between uh, the opening of the sixth seal and the seventh seal, which takes place in Revelation chapter 8. And uh, that's something that we'll be getting into, Lord willing, next Thursday. So basically, Revelation chapter 7 is a gap, uh, and it is describing things that are taking place during the Great Tribulation. And we'll get into that in just a little bit. But before we get into the Bible study tonight, I'm going to ask you to do just two things for me. First of all, would you please visit our website, swordofthespiritpodcast.com. That's swordofthespiritpodcast.com. And when you get over there, head over to our contact section, open up that little web form, and why don't you send us over a message? Let us know whatever's on your heart, whatever's on your mind, any questions, comments, cares, or concerns that you might have. And also, folks, don't forget to send over your prayer requests. 
Uh, I really do look forward to getting your prayer requests, and I look forward to being able to spend some quiet time with the Lord and praying over the needs that uh, that you guys have expressed uh, through those requests. And it's a real blessing for me to be able to do that, and a privilege for me as well. And uh, and then, of course, we get to, with your permission, of course, we get to bring it to the the SOTS podcast family and pray about it all together uh, before we get into the Bible study or the preaching service uh, for the day. Now, uh, if you don't like to use the web form, that's fine. You could always email me directly by sending an email to info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com. That's info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com. Also, while you're on the website, would you uh, also please look for the support this podcast button? And when you find it, would you consider supporting us with a small monthly contribution? You can set that up for $0.99, cents, $4.99, or $9.99 a month. Now, I know the economy is a little tight for everybody right now, and making a monthly recurring contribution in any amount might be a bit of a stretch uh, for your budget. But that's fine. Uh, if you could, and if you're interested in still contributing, you can do a one-time contribution by clicking on the Waygiver button, or you can now scan the Cash App QR code, which is on our website homepage as well. And uh, no matter how you go about it, though, folks, the most important thing for you to do is to pray about it. And if the Lord leads you to do it, and if these podcasts and these live broadcasts have been a blessing to you in any way, and if you'd like to become an active part of this ministry, your contribution will go a very long way, and I would be extremely thankful for it. Now, before we get into uh, anything else, I would like to uh, just say welcome to a new financial supporter. Uh, Catherine has uh, joined the SOTS podcast financial support crew, and we are so very thankful for your contribution, Catherine. Thank you so very, very much, and you earn this. All right. Now, uh, before we get any further into the show, uh, first and foremost, I want to say thank you to the Lord Jesus Christ, like we always do. First of all, uh, in my particular situation, I want to say thank you to the Lord Jesus for saving me. Uh, It was 23 years ago, or it will be 23 years ago, this coming July 20th, that that the Lord directed me to a a preacher on a radio broadcast uh, that... um, that uh, was a real uh, eye-opener for me because he was preaching a message on hell and who's going there. And uh, it just seemed to me like at every the end of every sentence, he was like, hey, I'm talking to you, Joe. Did you hear what I just said, Joe? I'm talking to you. You need to fix this, Joe. And, uh, you know, I, I wrote down the phone number. I was going to call the show, but like I've told you before, I've chickened out, and so I never did it. And, uh, but eventually I, I tracked him down. I tracked him down to, to the church that he was the pastor of. And we made contact. We met in lower Manhattan. And on July 20th of 2000, on Pier 34, just off of Canal Street and West Street in lower Manhattan, off the, off the West Side Highway, um, he, uh, he led me to the Lord Jesus Christ by taking me down what they call the Romans Road. And uh, I remember getting on my knees on the middle of that pier, and uh, I confessed the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, and I put my full faith, trust, and confidence in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ 
as the all-sufficient propitiation. Big uh, seminary word there for you. Uh, to, the, to, to pay the sin debt for me. Because there's nothing, my friends, that you can do to earn your way to heaven. You can't earn salvation. Your membership in your church is not going to save you. Your baptism is not going to save you. It'll get you wet, depending on how you do it. If you do it the right way, it'll get you really wet. If you do it the wrong way, you'll get a little dusting. That's about it. But uh, your, your baptism is not going to save you. Your church membership is not going to save you. Your giving, your tithing is not going to save you. All of your good works are not going to save you. Nothing you can do can save you because God tells us in the book of Isaiah that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. He also tells us there is none that doeth good. No, not one. My friends, the only way you can get saved is by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for there is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. You need to get saved, and you need to get saved today. What we're studying on Thursday nights in the book of Revelation should open your eyes to what's in store for this world once the church, and I don't mean the Catholic Church, the Presbyterian Church, the Methodist Church, any church, denomination, period. I'm talking about the body of Christ, the church. Once the body of Christ, the church, is raptured out, and we read about that in Revelation chapter 4. Well, once the church is raptured out, all hell is going to break loose on the earth. And my friends, you don't want to be here for that. And as we get into uh, the seals, as we uh, go into uh, the, the, the seventh seal next week, and we study tonight about some of the things that are going on on the earth during the Great Tribulation, and then we get into the vials and the trumpets, you're going to see the wrath of God being poured out. Now, I know there are people out there that, that basically think that, you know, the Lord is, you know, just love, love, love. Well, yeah, love is an attribute of God, but, there's, but God is also holy. God cannot tolerate sin in his presence. And there's a day coming, which is very, very soon, very soon, folks. The day is coming where the Lord's going to return, the church is going to rapture out, and then the wrath of God is going to be poured out upon this sin-cursed world. You don't want to be here for that. So please don't go to hell. Please don't get left behind here. Now, there will be opportunities to get saved during the tribu tribulation. We've been studying that. And uh, the difference is, is right now, all you need to do is, is to believe. It's faith. It's faith. That's it. But when the tribulation comes, when the church is raptured out, it changes. The dispensation changes. The way God deals with it changes. The church age is over. And the only way you're going to get saved is through faith and works. And your works are going to involve either martyrdom or enduring to the end. I think getting saved now in the age of grace, when it's so simple, is probably your better option. So it's something you need to consider.
Now, folks, I also want to say thank you to the Lord for allowing me this opportunity and, and for giving me this ministry uh, that he has blessed me with uh, to, uh, to open up the Word of God and to, uh, to sit down with you twice a week and to kind of pull our ignorance together on what the Bible teaches and try to uh, apply what we are learning to our everyday life and to use that as we witness to those lost and dying around us each and every day. I also want to say thank you to all of you who support us prayerfully. God bless you for your prayers. Thank you so very much for praying for this ministry. Thank you so much for praying for me, for my family, and for the work that we're trying to do for the Lord Jesus Christ. Please continue to pray for us. We really do need your prayers. They are so important to this ministry. And again, God bless you for it, and please keep it going. I also want to say thank you to all of you who support us financially already. Thank you so very much for your prayers. God bless you um, uh, for your financial contributions, excuse me. And uh, thank you so much. Please, please, folks, uh, uh, it is so important today. Your financial contributions go so far because your financial contributions help us pay for the platforms that we're on, for uh, the streams that we use, and also to buy the materials that we get to send out the Bibles and such, that when folks request them, that we get them for them. Uh, that's where that money goes. It also goes now, as you know, we've been sending contributions to our Missionary of the Month each month, and it's been a real blessing, and that's going out in all of our names. And, uh, you know, you will be rewarded for that. So God bless you, folks. God bless you for your financial support. Thank you so very much for it. And, uh, and, and please continue to pray for us. I also want to say thank you to all of our listeners, every single one of you who listen in faithfully to everything that we put out there. Uh, you guys, you guys rock. <laughs> you really do. You really do. And, uh, it, it's, you have kept us on the charts on good pods. We are the number one podcast on four charts, uh, right now. And, uh, we are so thankful for that. And uh, it's a real blessing for us because, you know, uh, by the plays, the downloads, you know, you boost up our algorithm so people can find us when they do searches. Uh, we pop up, you know, uh, first, second page of a search, and it's, a, it's great. It's, it's such a blessing because we're able to reach more people that way. And that's the, that's the object that we are striving for, and that's the purpose of what we're doing here is to see folks come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ, their Savior. So thank you so very much for, for all that you do, whether it's praying, financial support, listening, everything that you guys do. Thank you so very much for it, and may God bless you for it. Now, folks, wherever you're listening to us, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share it with your friends, your family, and your followers, and you'll help us spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, especially today, folks. It is so very important to get the gospel out. All right, how about some announcements? Uh, let's see. Don't forget our Sermon Sunday broadcast every Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. Central Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Last Sunday, we had a message uh, for Palm Sunday. Uh, this coming 
uh, Sunday, we'll be having our Resurrection Day message, and I am really looking forward to it. It's it's going to be a blessing, I hope, to everybody. And uh, you know, uh, you know, the, yesterday on Wednesday afternoon, the Lord Jesus Christ was was taken out to Calvary and crucified, and uh, he died. He was buried, and he rose again the third day on Sunday. And uh, when he rose that Sunday morning, he paved the way for salvation for all of us. The Apostle Paul says that the gospel message is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that all took place this week in what most folks call Passion Week. But this coming Sunday, 3 p.m. Central Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, our Resurrection Day message will be on the empty tomb. Now, folks, if you are in the Eagle Pass area and you're looking for a good King James Bible-believing and Bible-teaching church, why don't you pay us a visit over at First Baptist Church of Eagle Pass. We meet at 664 North Monroe. Our Sunday school hour starts at 10 a.m. Our worship service begins at 11. Our Sunday evening service is at 6 p.m., And, of course, our Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. For more information, you can always visit the church's Facebook page. All you need to do is just log into Facebook, search for First Baptist Church of Eagle Pass. Once you get over there, you're going to find a lot of really helpful information. And, as always, you'll find episodes of this podcast. And, of course, we want to say thank you. Uh, to Pastor John Monk, my pastor and my friend, and the folks at First Baptist Church uh, for allowing me the opportunity to post the show on the church's Facebook page. As you guys know, I don't have Facebook, and I'm thankful that I don't have Facebook. And um, But the church allowing us to post it on the church's Facebook page has really helped get the gospel message out, and uh, we are very, very thankful for that. Now, if you are interested in prepping, and really you should be, If you're interested in prepping, I would like to recommend to you the Contra Radio Network. The Contra Radio Network is a single podcast housing nearly a dozen talented podcast and vidcast hosts, artists from around the country who release content daily. The Contra Radio Network podcast releases 15 to 20 shows a week depending on current events, and no issues are off limits to any of these patriots. You want a breakdown of current events? Got it. You want to know more about preparedness and self-sufficiency? Got it. You want a guy driving around ranting like a lunatic? You know something? We've got that too. You want to hear about politics, news, Bible studies, sports, camping, firearms, and more? The Contra Radio Network has it all covered in spades. You can find the Contra Radio Network on all of your major podcasting platforms and also by visiting www.com crn.best that's www.crn.best and the sword of the spirit podcast is very happy and very thankful to be part of the contra radio network family you can catch all our shows on their network as well all right folks don't forget to uh, head over to our website sword of the spirit podcast.com and look for the programming announcements subscription box which is on our homepage. All that is, is just a mailing list that we have that uh, you can get yourself on. It doesn't cost you anything. We don't sell your information. Everything stays here with me. And if in the event there's a cancellation, a late start, or uh, some type of programming change, maybe a guest, 
uh, we will be sending out an email from that programming announcements list. So that will keep you in the know. Because, you know, we broadcast on Sunday and Thursday. A lot of things can happen in between those days where some things might change. And the only way we could reach you is by email. So if you want to stay in the know, get on the mailing list. Just head to the website, programming announcement subscription, get on the list. And then, of course, also while you're on our website for our last announcement, uh, you can visit our Sword Swag section. And if you'd like to get yourself one of these really handy Sword of the Spirit podcast coffee mugs that I have right in here in my hot little hand, uh, you can get one of these for a $25 contribution. And if you want to get one of these really nice Sword of the Spirit podcast t-shirts like I'm wearing right now, uh, you can also get that on our website for a $35 contribution. Now, of course, as tradition states, I have to take a sip of the beverage of choice out of the Sword of the Spirit podcast coffee mug so that you know I'm really doing it like I, I say I am. So here we go. Mm. All right. And what is the beverage of choice for today? Well, we're kind of sticking with the uh, Starbucks iced coffee with the uh, sweet cream creamer. And uh, it is quite good, if I do say so myself. All right. Well, folks, that'll just about do it for the uh, announcements. What we're going to do here is we're going to take our first break of the afternoon, of the evening. And uh, when we come back, we'll get into our prayer requests and then move on into our study of Revelation chapter 7. Please, folks, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends, your family, and your followers. If you have an active Spreaker account and you'd like to jump on into our chat room, uh, you can do that as well. And if you have any prayer requests or uh, any questions or comments that you want to make, you can make that in the chat room, and we will get back to you as soon as we possibly can. All right, folks, this is the Sword of the Spirit podcast, and we'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Hi, everyone. This is JJ, the co-founder of Good Pods. If you haven't heard of it yet, Good Pods is like Goodreads or Instagram, but for podcasts. It's new, it's social, it's different, and it's growing really fast. There are more than 2 million podcasts, and we know that it is impossible to figure out what to listen to. On Good Pods, you follow your friends and podcasters to see what they like. That is the number one way to discover new shows and episodes. You can find Good Pods on the web or download the app. Happy listening!
Welcome back to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is Joe Rusiello, and uh, if you're just joining us, we have uh, gone through the first segment of the program, and we're coming into the second now. We're going to be doing our prayer requests in just a quick moment. Don't forget, folks, to uh, head on over to our chat room on the Spreaker app. If you have an active account and you are currently logged in, you can join in the conversation there. Uh, Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends, your family, and your followers you could also find the Sword of the Spirit podcast on all of your major podcasting platforms, uh, such as Good Pods, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Pandora, believe it or not. Uh, we're also on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeart, you name it, we're on it. You can find us anywhere. So why don't you head on over, and if you can, if you're on an app where you could give us a five-star review and you feel like we deserve a five-star review, please crush that five-star button. We would appreciate that, and believe it or not, it does help with the algorithms. All right, uh, coming into our prayer request, you know, first and foremost, we always pray for those that are in need of salvation. So tonight, we are going to be praying for... Uh, my mom, Diane, my sister, Laura, David in New York City, uh, all of the unsaved members of the Baldino family. Uh, we're praying for a lady named Jackie. Uh, Manuel has asked for prayer for his mom for salvation. Uh, Adam has asked prayer for his dad for salvation. And uh, we're also praying for Sharon for salvation. So Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much, Lord, for saving us Lord, we praise you for it. We praise you for the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that all of those that are on our salvation list, Father, I lift them up to you. I ask you, Father God, to just uh, work in them, draw them to yourself, Father God, impress upon their hearts that their, their need for salvation, that it's nothing of their own that they can do, that they get themselves into heaven. They need the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is not in a church. It's not in the saints. It's not in Mary. It's not in the Pope. It's not in the cookie. It's not in good works, sacraments, nothing. Nothing like that will ever get you a place in heaven. It is only through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and putting your full faith, trust, and confidence in that. So, Father, I pray that you would just impress that upon those on our list, and, Lord, that you would work that wonderful, beautiful miracle. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, moving on down our list here. Uh, we are still praying for uh, for Danny. Danny is the six-year-old boy who uh, was in a vehicle accident, and uh, they're trying to save 
his arm from being amputated. Uh, Nicole has asked for prayer for her grandmother, who is in dialysis. We're also praying for Pastor Martin, uh, who has a heart condition. He has extremely poor vision. Uh, he's been feeling weak. And uh, we want to lift him up in prayer. Pat, for those of you who, are, who may, may be new to listening to the show, uh, may not know who Pastor Martin is. Pastor Martin is my pastor's pastor, and he's a, a good friend to me. He's also 89 years old. He has served in the pastoral ministry for over 50 years. Uh, and even at his advanced age, he still goes out and street preaches once a week. He still, with even with the, his poor vision, still reads his Bible ten chapters every day, and uh, you know he's a, he's a good man. Uh, I love him, and uh, we have him on our prayer list since we started the prayer list, and uh, we're very thankful for him and his life and his ministry. So we're going to pray for Pastor Martin for his health concerns. Uh, Hezekiah uh, had his biopsy, and he's going to need several procedures to remove. Uh, the, uh, the, the growth that he has uh, on his face, and um, it's going to take some time and a lot of prayer, a lot of healing, so we're going to keep Hezekiah on the prayer list for as long as we possibly have to. Uh, we're also praying for Mary Perez, who has uh, been battling cancer. Uh, we're praying for my mom, Diane, uh, who is currently in a rehabilitation center up in New York. Uh, we are very thankful that she recovered from COVID well. And uh, now she is in physical therapy uh, to uh, to get her be, to be able to head back home within the next couple of weeks. We're also praying for my sister Laura, uh, who has a uh, slip disc. We're praying for Bernice. Uh, Bernice is a sister of our church, and she has been fighting cancer for quite some time now. Uh, she's currently undergoing a new treatment, and it has some some pretty harsh side effects. And you know, so we're praying for. Uh, the Lord to touch her body and bring healing that these new treatments uh, would help and that um, they wouldn't uh, uh, have so many adverse effects and that also that the Lord would increase her appetite so that she'd be able to eat a little bit more than what she has been. So we're also praying for Bernice's mom. Uh, She has cancer as well, and uh, she was approved for the medication, so we're going to praise the Lord for that. Uh, and, uh, so she'll be starting these new medications, uh, shortly. And, uh, we're thankful that, uh, that, that they were approved and we're going to pray that the Lord would touch her and bring healing there as well. We're also praying for Janae, uh, who has a, a heart condition that she's been struggling with. We're praying for Furman who has cancer, Sharon Baldino, who has cancer as well, Martin Mata with lymphoma, Daniel Villarreal, uh, who is diagnosed with leukemia. Uh, we're praying for uh, Rebecca, who is recovering from surgery. We're praying for uh, Brother George from church, who is, uh, has not been feeling well the last few days, had some severe body aches and pains, and we're going to pray for him. And Adam has also asked for prayer for his dad uh, for uh, his bad knees. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are the great physician, and Lord, we just lift up all of those that are on our sick list to you. Father, we pray that you would touch each and every one, Lord, that you would bring healing, Lord, that you would impart grace to each one on the list according to their need, and Father, that, uh, that you would receive all the honor and the glory from the miracles and the healings that can and would take place. And Father, we just thank you so much for all that you do, in Jesus' precious name, amen. 
All right, moving on down our prayer list here. Uh, we're going to pray for uh, my brother-in-law, Jude, for his business up in New York City. He's a contractor. Uh, he does he does home renovations and flips houses. And so if you are in the New York area and you need someone that can do that kind of work for you, uh, you could always reach out to me uh, through the website, or you can email me directly, info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com, and I will pass on all of your information uh, to Jude, and hopefully uh, he'd be able to help you out. We're also praying for uh, a brother in Christ, Federico Salinas. We're lifting him up today in prayer. We're praying for Angel and her pregnancy. We're praying for her husband, Alex, and for his current employment situation. We're praying for uh, Isabella for her walk with the Lord, Jessica for her walk with the Lord. We're praying for Alex Herrera for his walk with the Lord and that uh, the Lord would put a hedge of protection around him and that the Lord would look on him favorably as he uh, returns to work. We're also praying for uh, for Furman, uh, Alex's dad, and uh, Alex's prayer for his dad is that the Lord will allow him to survive the cancer and live to see the rapture. And then we're also praying for, for Hector, Melina, and Hezekiah, um, keeping them on the prayer list. Hector and uh, Melina are Hezekiah's parents, and Hezekiah is the young man with the, uh, with the growth that they're going to be doing these multiple surgeries on. So we're going to keep them on our prayer list as well. And uh, they are really faithful members of our church and just uh, generally just really good people. And uh, I'm very thankful uh, for their friendship and for their 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 support. They've actually been supportive of this ministry since the very, very beginning. And uh, we are so thankful for them. And, and I let Hector, Hector know that this morning. Uh, we were texting a, a little bit today. And um, so, uh, Hector, if you're listening, God bless you. And thank you, brother. Melina, same. God bless your sister. And, and Hezekiah, we're, we're praying for you as well. All right, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for uh, all of those on our prayer list here, on our general prayer list. Father, we just pray that you would meet each prayer according to your perfect will and according to the need of each individual. And we will thank you and we will praise you for for it, Father. Uh, And we love you today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, and then rounding up our prayer list, we have all of the unspoken prayers of our hearts. Uh, These are prayers that, uh, you know, we might not have the right words to describe the need, or maybe the need is just so particularly private and personal that it's really not for other people to to know, but the Lord knows. And we are confident that the Lord will answer those prayers according to His will for, for you, for your life, and for all of us. Now, on the unspoken prayer list, we have Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, Larissa, Hector, Manuel, Angela, and myself for my unspoken prayer need. So, Heavenly Father, for uh, those of us on the unspoken prayer list, Father, you know exactly what those needs are, and we trust you, Lord, that you'll answer according to your perfect will for us and for our lives. And then, Lord, that uh, we would be given the opportunity to give you all the praise and the honor and the glory uh, for the answered prayer. Father, thank you so much for each and every person on our entire prayer list, whether it's for salvation, for sick, general, unspoken, and for all those, Lord, that may be holding on to prayer requests and maybe not have shared them with us. Father, we just pray that you would just meet all of their needs, and we will thank you for that. And we ask you, Father, also that you would bless our Bible study as we move into it today. Lord, uh, give me the words to speak. Lord, uh, uh, just hedge us about as we study the Word of God. We know that the devil is the prince of the power of the air, and he is the God of forces. And 
Lord, uh, you know, he has a tendency of messing up with uh, a lot of stuff that we d- we try to do. And Father, we just pray that you would just hedge us about, protect us, and and uh, Lord, that today's uh, lesson would be a real blessing to all of those under the sound of my voice. And we'll thank you for it, and we'll praise you for it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, folks, if you have any prayer requests whatsoever, you can always email them to me directly at info at com, or you could head over to our website and uh, open up that contact form, and you can send it to us through the web form as well. Or if you are in the chat room, you could post it in the chat room, and we'll be sure to add it to our list as well. All right. So, let's see. We don't have any missionaries that we're going to talk about today. That'll be on Sunday. Uh, no listener questions to answer. We did our four birthdays on, uh, on Sunday. That was a blessing. And uh, so we don't have any birthdays to mention. And uh, all right. That's great. So, I guess that means that it's time for us to take our second break of the evening. And that'll give you a chance to go get your King James Bible. Maybe grab yourself a cup of coffee. Maybe a refill. I think I'm going to need one. And uh, maybe a bottle of water. And when we come back, we're going to be getting into today's Bible study on Revelation chapter number 7. This is the Sword of the Spirit podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends, your family, and your followers. Help us spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll be right back. See you in a few minutes.
the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, 
Its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Christ is its subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is given to you in life, will be open in the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and condemns all who trifle with its holy precepts. The King James Bible, God's Holy Book. And welcome back to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. We are coming to you live from the Asylum Studios here in Eagle Pass, Texas. And uh, we had a little bit of a technical problem uh, on that break, which is why you got the extra song, because I needed a few minutes to get things straightened out. And uh, But we're all set, and we are ready to get into episode number 83 of the Sword of the Spirit podcast, Revelation chapter 7. So if you have your Bible handy, open up to the book of Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. Let me get a little sip of water here, and then we'll get started. That's one of the joys of doing a live show. You know, you can't hit the uh, pause button, back it up, edit, delete, you know, uh, clear out the sound and move on. You gotta, you gotta roll with it. That's why I like doing it live because I get lazy doing it as a recording. All right, Revelation chapter seven and verse number one. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. All right, now, so this is immediately after the six seals that we just read about uh, last week in in chapter 6, and God says there's four angels standing on the four corners of the earth. Now, believe it or not, that used to be a text that, you know, years ago, a lot of folks would laugh at, and and it would be criticized by a lot of the Bible critics. You know, the idea that something round has four corners, but the fact of the matter is, is that science has discovered, believe it or not, just last century, that uh, the wind currents of the earth, um, as far as the wind currents of the earth are concerned, that's exactly the way this thing is laid out. There are four corners. And the way they discovered that was, is that um, there was a Navy lieutenant, and I cannot remember his name right now. I used to know it, but it's kind of off somewhere in the twilight zone of my brain right now. But there was a Navy lieutenant that was injured back in, I think it was World War I, if I'm not mistaken, um, to the extent that he, could, he couldn't 
participate in any kind of normal active duty on board ships. So uh, what he ended up doing is he, he began to do a lot of research and he would study the logs of ship captains. You know, every ship captain's required to keep a daily log and he has to know, you know, pertinent information in that log, you know, as far as wind and weather and current, um, latitude, longitude, you know, all that stuff. And this young lieutenant went through volumes and volumes of logs dating back hundreds of years. And what he finally established was that currents in the ocean are just like a river. And as he continued to progress, he found out that you could actually pinpoint what they call the four corners. So once again, your Bible is proven to be correct. Now, there is a lot more to that, you know, than I know about, I'm sure. But um, suffice to say, your Bible is once again proven to be correct. All right. So uh, after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth. Okay, so there are four angels, and what are they doing? Well, they're holding back the winds of the earth. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but we are utterly dependent upon wind. Even though wind really isn't one of my favorite elements, you know, a couple of weeks ago we had some pretty heavy winds and uh, right and happened right before we were supposed to start a broadcast, and it, it knocked out power it, and it tore out, believe it, a section of my roof. <laughs> You know, uh, I honestly never realized how windy Eagle Pass gets, but it does. And uh, I guess there are other windy places too, right? Like Chicago, isn't Chicago called the Windy City, right? Well, wind is wind is kind of an abrasive element in some ways, but we are utterly dependent upon it. Did you know that um, for wheat to ripen, it has to have wind? That motion and movement helps... Uh, ripen that grain. So when you see like video, or if you're like in in the plain states, and they, they, you, you see the you see the the wheat in the field and it's kind of swaying in the wind back and forth, it needs that motion and it needs that movement to help ripen the grain. Utterly dependent upon it, and of course the whole system of evaporation is dependent upon wind, and that's laid out for us over in Ecclesiastes chapter one. How about we take a look at that over there, Ecclesiastes chapter one. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. So go to the middle of your Bible, look for the book of Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. You know, you can learn a lot of science by studying your Bible. You really can. All right, now here's the deal. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 6. The wind goeth toward the south and turneth about unto the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. Well, how does that happen? Did you ever stop to think about that? Rivers are continually running into the ocean, but the ocean is never full. Well, how does that work? I'm going to tell you how it works. The wind that's discussed in verse 6, moves across those huge bodies of water. It picks up that moisture in a process of evaporation. And it forms clouds, and it brings it right back in over land. And then it dumps it in rain and snow, and, and you know, it dumps it on the land, and dumps it on the mountains, and it's just a continuous cycle. Well, Solomon had that figured out. 
He understood it thousands of years before science did, and he wrote it down. All right, now you're dependent upon wind for that. Wind does that. Wind keeps you from getting too hot. You know, I lived in New York City for most of my life, and you know the reason New York City has a more temperate climate is because you know we had wind blowing across the Atlantic Ocean, you know, across that great body of water. Now, what that did was, you know, that water was never too cold. It was never too hot. That water remained, you know, fairly stable. So that wind comes across that water, and that water regulates that temperature. Now, here in Eagle Pass, it gets hot. Man, I mean, it gets hot in the summertime. I'd like to joke around and tell people, you know, it gets a few degrees cooler than hell. You know, we live in a desert here, so it'll get up to 116 degrees. When I moved to Eagle Pass, uh, moving day, unloading the moving truck, it was 117, 118 degrees, if I'm not mistaken. But it would be like 190 degrees if it wasn't for a little wind, you know, a little breeze, you know, somewhere around. So we are utterly dependent upon wind. You know, sometimes you'll hear in the news, too, about, you know, the, the coldest place in the country. And every one of those places, every one of those places, the coldest places, you know, 40 below, 50 below. If you look at it, it's always in a mountain valley. Every one of them. It's in a deep mountain valley where they're blocked off from the wind. And so the temperature just goes down, you know, right down. Now, if you're ever, and I, I really hope you're not, but if you're ever caught in a wilderness situation and nighttime comes around and you're lost and you're afraid of hypothermia and all that stuff, you know, mountains and valleys, and you know how the deal goes, right? Uh, you know, the worst place in the world that you want to spend the night is in the valley. So what you want to do is you want to go halfway up the hill. You don't want to go right on top because you get too much wind. You don't want to be on the bottom. You want to be about halfway up. That's the, blessed, that's the best place to be. All right, so what are we saying? We are far more dependent upon wind for survival than we have really any recognition of. You know, and unless you were a climatologist or a meteorologist, you, you just wouldn't be really aware of it. But we are utterly dependent upon it. All right, now what's going to happen when God shuts the thing down? Think about it. No wind. All of a sudden, there's no evaporation. All of a sudden, inland gets pretty hot. All of a sudden, we're talking about temperatures that are just going to soar incredibly. You know, every summer, it seems that, you know, you know out west and back east, when, when they have their heat waves, you know, and several people die because their apartments are getting like 110 degrees in the shade. You know, you hear about that all the time. Well, boy, that thing is just going to magnify incredibly when God shuts down the wind. All right, let's get back to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, and it says, These four angels are holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. So not only are you going to have um, a tremendous heat problem, you know, no wind blowing across that ocean, no rain inland, right? No moisture, Amen. You know what's going to happen? That thing's going to burn up. It's going to dry up. That's just what God's going to do. And he's going to do it simply by holding back the wind. Now, that's interesting because over in John chapter 3, 
the wind is compared to the Holy Spirit. Let's look over there for a minute. John chapter 3. John chapter 3, and we're going to look for verse 7. John chapter 3 and verse 7. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. So the Spirit of God is compared to the wind. It's an invisible element. Now, you've never seen wind in your life. You've never seen wind. You've seen the manifestations of it. You've seen the results of it, but you don't see it. You can't see the Spirit of God. But if you're born again, you're, you're a manifestation of Him, of His movement. And the Spirit of God definitely moves like the wind. Sometimes he moves like a howling hurricane, you know, even in your life. And sometimes it's like the gentlest, little, slightest breeze, you know, just a little bit. All right, but we've got to have wind. You just got to have it. You know, and I was thinking about this today when I was going over the notes, you know, with no wind, no evaporation, heat like mad, no rain, no snow. Just think about the bugs. Think about the bugs. You know, where I, even where I live, in the summer, the bugs get a little heavy. Then in the evening, you get a little breeze, and it kind of blows those mosquitoes and gnats out, you know. You know, I'm telling you, God knows how to do a number on folks, doesn't he? Now, as I said, the wind is, the, the wind is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And what God is, at least symbolically doing here, because... And I say that because I accept the text literally. He's literally holding wind. But symbolically what he's doing is he's holding the Holy Spirit, you know, as pictured in the wind. All right, now, so the wind's not blowing. Verse 2, And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. All right, now a seal to the Christian speaks of the Holy Spirit. Now in Ephesians chapter 1, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So what God did to you was, when you got saved, he has his seal on you. Now, a seal, in the sense of antiquity, for example, was characterized by a letter, usually. And oftentimes what people would do is they would write a letter, and then they would seal the thing by pouring hot wax on it and then putting their signet or, uh, or their ring on it. And until that seal was broken, it stayed sealed. Now, what God did for you when he saved you, he put his seal on you. And the seal is the Holy Spirit. So he's compared to wind, and he's compared to a seal. Now, you're sealed, Ephesians 1 says, until the day of redemption. All right, so he says there are some people that have to be sealed. Now, this isn't New Testament Christians in chapter 7. The New Testament Christians, they're raptured. They're out of there. 
That happened in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. This is someone else that needs to be sealed. So God is saying to the angel, now look, hold off. Don't get too carried away with this thing about blasting the earth until we get all these folks sealed. So that's about to take place here in verse 4. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed an hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. All right, now this number, 144,000, this number has been thrown around um, a whole bunch of times. And, and of course, you know, the cults have utilized it to their advantage. The uh, Jehovah's Witnesses uh, years ago said that they were the, the 144,000. And then what happened was their number exceeded 144,000. So then they had to kind of you know, remodel their theology. Then they finally said, well, you know, it's just the faithful of the JWs that are the 144,000. And then they got some more people. And then they started fighting about who was faithful and who wasn't, who wasn't faithful. So now they still claim that, that some of the Jehovah's Witnesses are the 144,000, but now they say that no one can know for sure who. And they've used that. They use that as a tool to keep the troops lined up and whipped into shape. And so what they say is, you know, if you want to be one of the 144,000, then you've really got to, you know, toe the mark and get out there every Saturday with your briefcase and distribute Watchtower magazines and all that stuff. You know, they've used that thing and, and others have tried to capitalize it to, to greater or lesser degrees, you know, meeting the cults. And, uh, and of course, you know, the problem is, is that they can't read simple English. That's the problem. You know, I mean, obviously, the thing is, it's as clear as the nose in your face that, you know, these 144,000 are Jewish witnesses. All right, now let's take a look at this thing a little bit more detailed. Um, let me see. I didn't write down a cross-reference for it, so just give me a second. Um, all right, uh, let's go to... All right, let's go to chapter 14, Revelation 14. Chapter 14, all right, uh, that's, yeah, okay, that's the verse I'm looking for. Uh, verse 3 and 4. This, this gives us a little bit more insight as to who these are, you know, kind of before we tear into the rest of chapter 7. So Revelation 14, verse 3. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders, and no man can learn that song but the 144, the 140 and 4,000 which were redeemed from the earth. Okay, but who are they? These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. All right, so the thing is clear. These are 144,000 Jewish male virgins. That's who they are. Now, the type here, the type here is the Apostle Paul. Paul said that he was one born out of due time. Now, the other thing is, is that Paul is a type of a tribulation saint. But he was born out of due time because he was the apostle to the Gentiles. All right, now, so what does all that mean? Uh, as one born out of due time. Now, that leads us into a study of dispensational truth. 
okay? You see how all this thing builds and builds and builds? You got to love Bible study. You got to love Bible study. So dispensational truth, and we're going to talk about that for a minute now. So the Lord Jesus Christ is presented to Israel, and they're given a number of opportunities to receive him as their Messiah, nationally speaking. All right, they're given the opportunity, and they reject him in Matthew 12. They reject him again in John chapter 19. Then they're given one more opportunity nationally as a nation in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. And their response to the message of receiving their Messiah is they take the messenger, Stephen, they take him out, and what do they do? They stone him. Now, so as we've indicated, you know, from, from that time on, things take a dramatic shift. In the very next chapter, you have Philip preaching to a Gentile, an Ethiopian eunuch, in, chapter, in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 9, you have Saul of Tarsus, later known as the Apostle Paul, who gets saved. Now, let's just theorize for just a minute here, okay? Let's speculate. Let's say that in Acts chapter 7, Israel received Jesus Christ. You see, God was obligated, because of his word, to give them one more opportunity after the crucifixion. And the reason for that is that the crucifixion was prophesied. So in other words, to make the word valid, Jesus Christ had to be crucified, had to be rejected to fulfill Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 and Zechariah chapter 11 and so on. Even, even if they had accepted, you know, because you have, you have volumes of Old Testament scripture prophesying his crucifixion, he had to be crucified. Even if they accepted him, he had to be crucified. He was the lamb. Behold, the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, John the Baptist said, right? Consequently, consequently, God was obligated to provide them with one more opportunity after the crucifixion, and he did so. And this wasn't just a quick, you know, you know here's your opportunity. That thing started in Acts chapter 2 when Peter started preaching on the day of Pentecost. And then you see you have Acts chapter 2, chapter 3, 4, 5, 6, leading up to that final sermon given by Stephen in Acts chapter 7. And so you have quite a procedure of God reaching out and reaching out and reaching out. Now let's just assume for a moment, just for a moment, if Israel had received their Messiah, they'd have repented like, like they'd been admonished to over and over and over again. Let's assume they had done it. Now what? Would God have put them on the shelf anyway? Like he did? Would he have ushered in the church age and in as we know it anyway? No, of course not. What would have happened was, turn over to Acts chapter 1. Turn over to Acts chapter 1. And then let's look at uh, verse 6. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? All right, now where are we? All right, this is after the resurrection, folks. This is just moments before the ascension. And what's the question they're asking? Are you going to restore the kingdom yet? And in verse 7, And he said unto them, 
It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up in a cloud, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So in other words, Jesus wouldn't tell them the answer to their question. Now, it's not because he didn't know. God's omnipotence knows everything that's going to happen before it ever takes place. But God wasn't willing to stack the deck. You know, one way or the other, God was going to let them, God was, was going to let them play their hand, if you ex- excuse the analogy. I just can't really think of anything else right now. All right, now, the thing, that, now this thing can go either way. Now, if they reject him, you know, we're in the time frame of Acts chapter 7. And this is a critical time frame, okay? Because Christ has been crucified. The prophecy has been fulfilled. Blood has been shed, amen? The atonement has been made. The veil of the temple has been rent. All the necessary criteria have been met. All right, now obviously they have one of two choices, right? Accept or reject. There are only, those are the only alternatives here. Accept or reject. Now, once you get a handle on dispensational truth, you can never be a Calvinist. You can never be a hardcore Calvinist uh, that thinks that God just manipulates and works people around and makes them do whatever he wants them to do. He doesn't. He doesn't. Because right here, he gave them a choice. And then they lived with the choice. All right, now, they rejected. We know that. So consequently, the church age which is a parenthesis. You know, we've been talking about parenthetical chapters. The church age, the age in which you and I live, is a 2,000-year parenthesis. That's all it is. But let's assume, okay, let's, let's surmise for a moment that they would have accepted. All right? So they accept. What then? All right? Immediately after, immediately the tribulation would have been ushered in. Because everything was in place at that time for the tribulation to take place, according to all the Old Testament prophecies. All right, according to the prophet Daniel, who who had to be in control for the tribulation to take place? Well, Rome. Wasn't Rome in control? All right, so Rome has to be in control for the tribulation to take place. But Rome has to be in control for the, for the tribulation to take place now. Is Rome in control? More than you and I know. Rome is in control. So the tribulation would have been ushered in. Paul was saved as one born out of due time. So do you see? Had, had he been accepted, Paul would have been a tribulation saint. Well, there's no Old Testament prophecy concerning the 144,000 that I know of, so there may never have been 144,000, but he certainly pictures that. I can't nail down any 144,000 in the Old Testament, although it it could have been there. It easily could be there. I just haven't found it. But you do have the two witnesses in the Old Testament, and we're going to study them when we get to Revelation chapter 11, and that's Moses and Elijah. 
And interestingly, Malachi, the last book of your Old Testament, prophesies the return of Moses and Elijah. Do you remember when, G- you remember when Jesus said to his disciples, who do men say that I am? And Peter said, oh, well, you know, some say you're Elias, that's Elijah, and, and some say so-and-so. You know, Whom say ye that I am? Do you remember that conversation? All right, so even then, it was a prevailing opinion that Jesus Christ could have been Elijah. Well, why? Because even the casual observers of the Bible, the Old Testament in Jesus' day, had some kind of awareness that Elijah had to come back. Jews, to this very day, still know that. They're still looking for Elijah to show up. All right, now, the question is, and, and that leads to... to a whole nother thing. I really don't want to take time to run out because it's straying a little bit too far from Revelation. But had they accepted the tribulation, been ushered in, did Elijah show up? He was John the Baptist. Well, how do you know that? Because he said so. John the Baptist fulfilled the role of a, of a returned Elijah. And there are about... Uh, three or four passages that'll lay all of that out for you. So you'll find out that John the Baptist possessed the spirit of Elijah, and you'll find a few other things that'll all fit, just make it all just fit together. So what I'm telling you is, God had the house of cards, if you please, all lined up. So, so that had they accepted Jesus Christ as their Messiah, everything was in order to carry it out. See, the tribulation was prophesied in the Old Testament, wasn't it? So it had to take place. That's Daniel's 70th week, the day of Jacob's trouble. That had to take place. I mean, here's what the prophets saw. Clarence Larkin, in his book on dispensational truth, draws a chart, and he shows a prophet looking out across the centuries. And the prophet sees the peaks of the mountains. You know, he sees the first coming of Christ. And that thing is abundantly clear in the Old Testament. The prophet sees the tribulation. The prophet sees the second advent and the millennial kingdom. That's what the prophet sees. But what he can't see is the valley in between. Well, why? God purposely disguised it so that it could go either direction. I mean, he's got the thing laid out so that you can go either way, all depending on what on what, you know, like you see critics of the book, right? They don't really know the book. Uh, And and, and they say that, you know, God's got all these programmed robots running around and and they have to do because it's going to be, because he said it's going to be this way. And so, you know, all prophecy is, is a bunch of robots running around fulfilling the program. But that's not true. That's not true because God gave them a choice right here. You can go either way, and no matter which way they went, God had all the bases covered. If they hit to the left, the shortstop was going to get it. If they hit it to the right, the second baseman was going to get it. didn't matter, you see? God had the thing set up both ways. So then you come to those mystifying little phrases like Paul said, like one born out of due time. That's how the thing fits. And, and who was in place to be the devil incarnate? Caesar. Right? Caesar, who claimed to be not only a political leader, but also a religious leader, who assumed upon himself the office of a god, 
the Roman Caesar was considered to be a God-man and a man-God. So Caesar was the perfect Antichrist. You see, folks, everything was in order for the fulfilling of Revelation 13. Now, uh, now obviously, there's a little bit more to it than just that, but that's really just a very simplistic explanation of it. Now, as I said, you can't be a Calvinist and understand dispensational truth because what dispensational truth does is help you understand how that God will bend over backwards and let man exercise his own free will. And that's something everybody needs to get a handle on sooner or later. You know, I've seen parents beat themselves up with mega doses of guilt because their kids aren't doing right. And we all know, as parents, you know, we look back and there are things that we wish we could have done be- better and things that we wish we could have done different. You know, you know, if I could do it all over again, you know, it's too bad we didn't wait until we were 40 before we started raising a family because then we'd be a little smarter than we were at 20, you know. And then on the other hand, you know, on the other hand, they wouldn't be out of there until you were 60, right? <laughs> you know, so it's kind of like, you know, it's a cursed thing no matter which way you go. So we all know about that stuff. Now, the other side of the coin is, you know, sometimes as parents, you know, we forget that, you know, these kids have exactly as much free will as we've got. Amen? You can take two kids raised in the same family with the same parents, same conditions, same love, same, 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 same everything, and one will go good and one will go bad. Dr. Ruckman used to tell a story about a family uh, in a church that he, that he was involved with down south. You know, it's a real-life story about, you know, two brothers raised in the same home, same parents, same everything. One turned out to be a game warden. The other one turned out to be a poacher. So you know what that shows? That shows that, you know, those kids have a free will too. So you do everything you can do, and that's all you can do. All right, let's get back to Revelation chapter 7. So uh, there is a ceiling of these servants, and these servants are 144,000 Jewish male virgins. That's who they are, all right? And then they're listed by tribe, verse 4. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and they were sealed in 140 and 4,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. And it goes right on down through all the tribes. You know. Now, you know, now, two of the original tribes are missing from the list. All right, Dan is one of them that's missing. Dan led Israel into idolatry, and God promised to blot out the name of the idolater in Deuteronomy chapter 29. And interestingly, the Antichrist may come from the tribe of Dan. The other one left out is Ephraim. Now, see if you can find out why old Ephraim is left out. All right? See if you can make some sense of it, rather than me just tell you. All right? And it's really not a big mystery. <laughs> All right? You'll find it. And you'll find the answer in the book of Hosea. I'll give you that much of a hint. Okay? You'll find the answer in the book of Hosea. All right? So now, they're replaced with two others. And of course... Who they're replaced with is Levi and Joseph. Now, what it appears to be, although this 144,000, to my knowledge, are never called witnesses in your Bible, that's just a word that we apply to them, kind of like the word rapture, you know. Now, to my knowledge, they're never called witnesses. Again, this is just a word that we put on them. Like the word rapture isn't in the Bible, but, it, uh, but it's a Bible, but it's a, a word that signifies a Bible event. And 
as you study what little information we have about the activity of them, and then believing what Paul said as being a type of this, then that's, that's how this whole thing comes about, 144,000 witnesses. All right, so the idea of the thing is, from all appearances, these 144,000 are going to be engaged in one singular proposition, and that is missionary activity, just like Paul. Now, can you imagine turning 144,000 Apostle Pauls loose on the world? You know, the idea of the thing is that even though this is a time of God's wrath and God's vengeance upon earth, and his love is never stated or implied in these chapters, as we've already told you from, from chapter 4 to 19, you never hear the word love, it's never stated, implied, or anything. But God's grace is always prevalent to some degree because of the very nature and character of God. The very nature and character of God is one of grace and love. So consequently, he's extending some kind of mercy to the world. And one of those manifestations of that mercy is, the, is that 144,000 witnesses who are preaching to every kindred, tongue, and nation, which we'll explore momentarily. He's talking through them, the Lord is. And they're preaching. Not the gospel that we preach. They're preaching the gospel of the kingdom. They're preaching the same gospel that they were preaching in Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 7. It's the same gospel. Well, why? Because it's preparatory to tribulation in Acts. It's a kingdom message. So in other words, it's a message that's preached to bring in the kingdom. All right, now, you know, the kingdom is at hand. What did John the Baptist say? He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was at hand. Had they received him, it was at hand. All they had to do was pick it up and go with it. But just because something's at hand doesn't mean that it's going to come to fruition. It's at hand if you take it. But they didn't take it. So they missed the opportunity. All right, so... The gospel of the kingdom is being preached here. Now, the gospel of the kingdom is what we've already discussed several times. The gospel of the kingdom is not the gospel of Christ that you and I preach in this day and age. The gospel of the kingdom is repent, get baptized for the remission of sins. You know, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. You can't find anything, nothing like that in any of the Pauline epistles. The gospel of the kingdom is accompanied by signs and wonders. And so... These preachers will be miracle workers in that they'll be handling the poison serpents and handling the poison and speaking in tongues and casting out demons and all that activity that you see in Mark chapter 16. Now, the primary reason for the speaking in tongues uh, during this kingdom time will be exactly for the reason that it existed in Acts chapter 2. Exactly the same reason. Exactly the same kind of tongues. You know, it's not some, you know, mysterious heavenly gibberish. You know, no, it's not that. What it is, is the ability to speak in another man's language, just like it happened in Acts chapter 2. So here you have a guy, and he's commissioned of God. He's sealed of God. He's he's one of the 144,000. He's going to preach the gospel of the kingdom, exactly like Peter was preaching in Acts chapter 2 when they spoke in tongues. The same gospel, same situation, same circumstances, same everything. And he's going to go out to preach. And he knows one language. And God sends him over to some aborigines somewhere, and he doesn't know their language. So what does he do? He, all, he starts speaking in tongues. 
simple. It's kind of like for me, for myself. Okay. Uh, say, you know, I don't speak a word of Russian. But all of a sudden, I'm, to, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a place where there's predominantly Russian-speaking people, and they don't understand English, and all of a sudden, I have the ability to speak Russian fluently. That's speaking in tongues. And then there's this ability to communicate the gospel of the kingdom, and, and miraculously, divine intervention takes place. That's the thing. So that's what they're doing. All right? So that's the 144,000. All right, now, during the tribulation, even though it's going to be a time of God exercising great wrath upon the earth, there's a vast amount of scripture that seems to indicate that simultaneous to God's angel throwing a sickle into the wine vat of the earth, which is his wrath, he's going to also be reaping the greatest harvest of souls that the world has ever known. And so... Some of these scriptures we have indicate that men will go into the caves and cry to have rocks fall on them, and they still won't repent. Uh, it, it's an attitude, if you, if, you look at, if you look at that, it's an attitude with people of high prestige, you know, kings and princes and so on and so forth. But at the same time, there's going to be a great harvest, and this great harvest is yet to come. It's yet to come. And there's multiple scriptures that, as you work through some of these minor prophets like Joel and Habakkuk and, and some of those through there, even Isaiah and so on, you know, they, they indicate that the greatest harvest is yet to come. The Lord's going to reap a great harvest of souls in the tribulation. There's going to be a lot of people saved during the tribulation. So, you know, God is still not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance even in the tribulation. So don't ever get the idea that God just gets hard and callous during the tribulation. That is diametrically opposed to the very nature and character of God. There's going to be a great national conversion of Jews in the tribulation. When I say national, that doesn't mean every Jew is going to get saved. That means that a great body of them is. But it's not just going to be Jews. There's a whole bunch of others that are going to get saved. And when I say they get saved, I mean in the sense of you know tribulation, salvation. But uh, be, that, be that as it may, they are saved. All right, folks, this is the Sword of the Spirit podcast. We are way overdue for our, our last break of the evening. Uh, don't forget, folks, to like, subscribe, and share with your friends, your family, and your followers, and help us spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're in the chat room on Spreaker, if you have an active account and you can get in there, why don't you jump on in, say hello, and uh, we'll, we'll, you, we'll be right back in just a few minutes. Stick with us. The tomb of Buddha looked inside and saw his bones. Traveled on to see Muhammad still wrapped up in his grave clothes. Then I journeyed to a garden where old Joe 
Joseph left him laid, the precious lamb, God's own begotten, was no longer in that grave. If you knew him like I know, But just one step in his direction, then in love he ran to me. If you knew him like I know him, you would know that he's alive. If you him like I feel him resurrection deep inside you know he's living and death has died you ask me how I know he
Welcome back to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is Joe Russiello. We are uh, working our way through the book of Revelation, chapter 7. And uh, we just were talking a little bit here about, uh, about the tribulation and about the 144,000 and uh, the reaping of the harvest of souls in the tribulation. It's, uh, it's going to be a very, very interesting period of time in the world. And I pray that you miss it. I do. I, I really do pray you miss it. I don't think you really want to go through the tribulation. But if you do plan on going through the tribulation, I would recommend that you uh, check out the Contra Radio Network and learn about prepping. Uh, get yourself a bunch of cans of tuna fish and uh, you know hunker on in and uh, hope for the best. All right, uh, let's pick it up over here in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. Uh, after this, that is after the sealing of the 144,000, after this I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds of people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. All right, now you got two groups here in chapter 7. You have the 144,000 Jews, and now we have a whole bunch of Gentiles. And the thing is clear because the Bible says there are every kindred tongue and people and nation. So that's a whole different group. And this outfit here is closed with white robes, and they have palms in their hands. Now, the palms suggest the Feast of Tabernacles 
in the Old Testament. Let's take a moment and head over to Leviticus. I'll learn the English language shortly. Let's head over to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23. And we're going to look at uh, verse number 40. Leviticus chapter 3 and verse 40. And ye shall take you on the first day the boughs of goodly branches, of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and the boughs of thick trees, and willows of the brook, and ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. And ye shall keep it a feast unto the Lord seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. Ye shall celebrate it in the seventh month. Ye shall dwell in booths seven days. All that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. All right, now, so this Feast of of the Tabernacles had to do with the harvest, the seventh month. Well, the seventh month for us would be July, right? But the seventh month on the Jewish calendar, um, their year starts in March. Well, actually, the middle of March to the middle of April is their first month. So that puts this whole thing off until about October. Now, that's harvest time. The Feast of Tabernacles is harvest time. And what they did was they went out and they got these branches and these palms and so on, and, and, you know, and they wave them around and they celebrate and then they dwell in booths for seven days. Now, isn't it interesting, though, at all over America to this day, to this day, at harvest time, we have state fairs and county fairs, and we have booths in the fairs, and you know the thing's supposed to be in conjunction with harvest time. Because you, know, you go down to the county fair, you've got the tomatoes and the cucumbers and the pumpkins and the pickles and the pies and the cakes and so on, you know, all in conjunction with harvest time. Now, where did that idea ever come from? You get a booth at the fair, right? It came right out of your Bible. It came right out of your Bible. Stick with your Bible, folks. Amen? You'll be way ahead of the game. All right? So now it's, it's harvest, all right? The waving of the palms, interestingly, is, you know, every kindred, tongue, and nation. So the Lord is zeroing in on more than just the Jews. He's zeroing in on Gentiles. All right? Now, they're dressed in white robes. The, right, the white robes indicate their righteousness through the Lamb. And they're saved by faith. You know, every, every salvation, every salvation has an element of faith involved. And that's always the case. Even though they may get their imputed righteousness by believing and then their justification by works, like we already uh, covered. All right, in verse 10. Uh, verse 10. And cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. All right, so this bunch is in, enduring the tribulation, and, they, and there seems to be a great harvest. All right, verse 11. And all the angels stood round about the throne, and about the elders, and, about, and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And, uh, and look at the question now. Verse 13. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, 
What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? So the question is asked, and, and I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. See? So the question is addressed to John, but John doesn't know. And he says, how about you tell me? <laughs> okay? Sir, thou knowest. And he said, he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So evidently with, with these are uh, is tribulation martyrs. All right? They can't be church-age saints. Now don't forget, we live in the church age. So they can't be church-age saints because the Scripture says they came out of great tribulation. So they're not church-age saints. They're tribulation saints. But they're before the throne of God. Right? Verse 9, stood before the throne. And then in verse 11, the throne is, is there twice in verse 11. And then in verse 15, the throne shows up again. So the tribulation saints are just like you and I. You know, they die and immediately go to heaven. Their bodies don't, but their spirit and soul does. So they're there. But then where are their bodies? Where do the bodies of tribulation martyrs go? All right, back in chapter 6. All right, go back to chapter 6. Look at verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Which, which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Well, their bodies are on the earth, and it says their soul is under the altar of God. This altar is in heaven. Amen? This, this altar is in heaven. Their bodies have been slain. Uh, there's another verse. Let me see if I can find it. Um, uh, chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. And verse number 4. Yeah, verse 4. Revelation 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. All right, so this is the same crowd. All right, that's the souls. So where's the body? Still on earth. Buried. Right? Isn't that what happens? When, isn't that isn't that what happens to you when you die? Your body goes in the ground, but where does the soul go? Well, the soul goes to heaven. Now, in case of, in the case of these folks, they go to heaven, but there's a special depository for those souls in heaven, in a place called under the altar of God. You, know, you might be saying, "Well, what does that mean?" I don't have any idea. I just know that it's under the altar of God. All right, now keep in mind what we've already learned about a soul. And if, you're, if you haven't heard this, this might be something new to you. Um, a soul has a bodily shape. Hence, a soul is compared to a ghost. Now, you are a trichotomy. All right, that's, that's a big you know, Bible school word, trichotomy. You are body, soul, and spirit. 
Your body is visible. Your soul is invisible, but visible at times. It has an opaque visibility to it under certain circumstances. Your spirit is utterly invisible. Now, God is also a trichotomy. He is a body, soul, and spirit. Jesus Christ is the body. God made manifest in the flesh. The Holy Spirit is comparable to the soul. He's also called the Holy Ghost. God the Father is the Spirit. No man hath seen God at any time, the Bible says. And that's true, God the Father. Amen? But you see, the cults that don't believe in the Godhead get all hung up on that. And they say, now wait a minute, no man hath seen God at any time? You're telling me that, and you're telling me that Jesus Christ is God? Well, that, that can't be. Well, sure it can be. No one has seen the Father, but we have certainly seen Jesus Christ. Well, someone has. We expect to see him. So the soul is comparable to the working and the movement of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. So in other words, it has a distinct, and even though there's an invisibility to it, it has a distinct apparition, is the theological word. So a soul has a bodily shape comparable to a ghost. So people say, you believe in ghosts? Yeah. All right, now, how about this? Matthew 27. And this is a little offbeat, you know. I know, but this is kind of an offbeat lesson tonight. All right, Matthew 27 and verse 51. Matthew 27, verse 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. All right, now, so it says the bodies of the saints which slept arose. So this is some kind of a resurrection. And yet they didn't have a physical body in the sense that you and I have one. But it was a body. Amen? It was a body. All right, let's go back to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. So you see what Hollywood does? When they get the inspiration for all these movies that they make and the themes they come up with about ghosts and spirits, you know, they, you know, they, they probably, you know, with the devil's help, just, you know, tear a page right out of the Bible and kind of twist it around a little bit. Um, and that's how, that's how they come up with what they do, you know. They never really come up with anything original. They never have. You know why? Because Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun, right? So there's no original plot. Anything original came from God. Man can't come up with anything original. There's nothing new under the sun. All right, so here we are in Revelation chapter 7. We're almost done. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 10. This crowd is crying with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And, you know, we went through this already, right? Didn't we? Yeah, we did. Okay. Um, where were we? Where were we? Verse, verse 14. Verse 14. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, 
These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, that's how anybody gets white. They get white in the blood of the Lamb. That's how it happens. You know, blood is intrinsically involved in anyone's salvation, regardless of the dispensation. Regardless. Abraham, blood was necessary. Adam, blood was necessary. Moses, blood was necessary. David, blood was necessary. For us, blood is necessary. In the tribulation, blood is necessary. And in the millennium, blood is necessary. So blood's always involved with the thing. All right, verse 15. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. All right, so they make it to heaven, and uh, there they are. They're serving God day and night in his temple. And uh, so it, it appears that these tribulation saints have the privilege for all of eternity of being the temple servants of God. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? That's, that's good duty. Amen? And look, I'm, I'm just taking it literally, all right? That's what it says, serving him day and night in the temple. So that's what appears they're going to be doing, you know, temple servants. That's, that's a pretty good duty. Uh, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. Now, we've already gone through that, you know, the you nor know, any heat stuff, you know, absolute zero, no molecular movement. And, you know, we've run that out. We don't need to do it again. You know, the sun doesn't need to light on them. Why? Because God is light. He doesn't need the sun in heaven because he is light. For the lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of water. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. All right. So they're, uh, they are perpetually provided for and taken care of. Now, it's interesting how verse 17 parallels Psalm 23. Now, I want you to notice some of the parallels, okay? Uh, the lamb shall do the feeding. Well, the lamb turns out to be the great shepherd, right? You know Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, that there is a paradox. The lamb is the shepherd, that's a paradox. You say, well, how can that be? How can the lamb be the shepherd and the shepherd be the lamb? You know, it's like one of those kind of like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. For the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them. What lamb? So, of course, the thing's a dead giveaway, right? John said, the lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world and shall lead them unto living fountains of water. All right, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me beside the still waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. So the indication of the thing is they've just come out of great tribulation. Verse 14, great tribulation would bring about great tears, wouldn't it? And so what God is doing is giving them great comfort in wiping away their tears. So, you know, they've come out of great tribulation, great sorrow, great heartache, great tears. And God gets them up there in glory and he wipes away their tears. And when God wipes away your tears, I mean, there's a sermon in that, by the way. Your tears are wiped away forever. 
because God takes care of the thing. And that, my friends, brings us to the end of Revelation chapter 7. So we are uh, fast approaching the two-hour mark, and I know I, I really have been trying to keep it below an hour and a half, but this was a, this was a lot of a lot of material. We wanted to make sure we get through this. One of the things I don't like to do is to split a lesson. I try to you know get through the whole thing. So, uh, but folks, I really do appreciate your patience. I appreciate you uh, uh, enduring to the end, as they say. And uh, so, just want to say again, thank you so much for tuning in. God bless you for your patience and for being here with us tonight. Don't forget to head over to swordofthespiritpodcast.com. Look for that contact section. Send us over a message, any questions, comments, cares, or concerns. Look for that support this podcast button on the website also. And if you can, make a, make a monthly recurring contribution. We'd appreciate that. Or at least a one-time contribution. Until we meet again on Sunday, win the loss no matter the cost. God bless you. Take care. You've been listening to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. If you have any questions or comments, visit our website at swordofthespiritpodcast.com and send us a message. Or email us directly at info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com. Until next time, God bless you and good day.